On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss whether or not the GNOME way is the best way. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 73 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from the other shows around the network and give our takes. With me today is Wendy. She'll punch your camera question right in the face. And Matt slips a game recommendation in a conversation, even if you don't ask for it. How are you guys? I'm not sure what to make of that. (laughs) I'm trying to stop laughing so I can actually answer. (laughs) I would never slip game recommendations in it by the rise on a rope. See, there we go. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know what you mean. Michael and Ryan are always know. calling me mean. Are you calling me mean as well? No, just the questions. You'll just punch them right in the face. Knock him out of the park. Yeah, something like that. It's like, Wendy, what camera should I buy? Bam, you should buy this one. Which software should I use? Bam, use this one. I need to get photos off my SD card. What should I do? Bam, use rapid photo downloader. You punch them right in the face. Yes. If you haven't seen that app pick, you should go check out Destination Linux 241 because not only was I a guest on there, I talk about rapid photo downloader and even give you a tour around it. So just a shameless plug for another show on the network. Go watch the video version of that one because you get a whole lot more. You think I didn't think about that one making the suggestion that you punch that in the face. I was actually trying to be sly and then I just exposed myself. Look at that. Nate, you're just not as sly as me dropping in those game recommendations apparently. This is true. I can't get away from that. Michael asked me on Friday about doing that app pick and I told him we are just getting ready to leave for the mountains and I doubt we'll be home in time to do it live with you, but I can make a quick video and upload it to you. And I like the fact that you didn't give Ryan a spider pick to frighten him. Really worried about being frightened with spiders. So that was fun. He doesn't like my cute little <laughs> spiders. He is offended by my cat face spiders. I don't know why. I just don't get it. So Wendy, what you should do is go and send Ryan a certain game. Yes, I should. But we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Wendy, what has been going on in your neck of the woods? I've been working more on this Pine Phone challenge. So I've been using Manjaro on my Pine Phone with Plasma Mobile, and I really love that base UI. But I'm also struggling getting my CDMA SIM card to work inside that version of software for the phone. Yesterday, I went ahead and installed what Matt likes to use. Yes. Ubuntu Touch? What? I went ahead and installed Ubuntu Touch last night on this. And I have to say, I really like the UI more than I thought I would. It's pretty dang fluid. Of course, you still deal with some of the hang-up type stuff in this device. It definitely doesn't run as fast as my other phone that I use on a day-to-day basis. But it seems like it was reading my sim card pretty good. I didn't actually get a chance to test it last night because I was potentially expecting another call to come in. And so I needed to stop with the playing and just have my sim card in the other phone until I knew that I was good to go on this one. So when we're done here, I will actually go back to playing with Ubi ports or Ubuntu touch and making sure that my sim card is working fully in this. Finish getting all of my apps set up on it that I need for the next 42 hours. And I will hopefully be able to tell you guys exactly how the Pine Phone Challenge went for me. 
next week. Nice. That's awesome. Not to hijack this conversation at all because I've been working on other things, but you know, this is kind of what I do. I've been actually very happy with the Plasma Mobile and Tumbleweed as of late. The little things like the keyboard going away and coming back when you would expect it to, that works great now. Discover, believe it or not, works great. The only thing that I really have a problem with at this point is doing updates on it. You have to go in the terminal and do that. As much as I love the terminal, the terminal on a phone is a novelty, not something you want to do on a regular basis. I can probably write a little program to do that for me. I really didn't mind updates from the terminal on the phone. They do have a GUI option, of course, in Manjaro that you can use, but I quite enjoyed the terminal version in Manjaro, or at least doing an update from there, but that's pretty simple. You run the command, let it run. Minimal typing. If you are doing a whole lot in the terminal on the phone, I can see that being harder just because trying to send a text message some days, it's like, holy crap, why can't I ever push the right letter and trying to do longer commands in the terminal on the phone, I could see being extremely painful. Yes. I find even doing texting on a phone painful. I'll switch from my computer to the phone, either using KD Connect or something else, because I just don't like using the touch type because I always fat finger it. That's the only issue. It's a me issue. I'm curious to try that, especially where it connects so much cleaner, I would say, from the Pine phone. I did connect it up a little bit before I need to reconnect it now that I've got Ubuntu Touch on there and just see. I would love to be able to get text messages, especially when I'm working at my computer doing other things because I'm pretty much confined to my desk right now all day and every day as we are gearing up for school between stuff I've had to send in or other things that I'm working on or that kind of thing. I really feel like I just live here. Do you have anything fun going on this week, Matt? Organizing my physical video game collection. Not fun, but it needed to be done. So are you organizing them alphabetically? Are you organizing them by which system they go to? How does your organization system look for physical video games? I do by system. I don't do alphabetically. I do by games I've actually completed. <laughs> mm-hmm, makes sense. Do you consider using the Dewey Decimal System? You know, so it's like a library? I might have a library, but <laughs> as big as my physical little library is i would probably need that for my digital library which i am not organizing because that already fake no to answer your question wendy i do it by system and i do it by games that i've completed and games that i have not that way it gives me more of an incentive to try to play some of the games that i have not completed yet or played at all i have way too many do you move games that you've completed to the bottom of the rack or whatever then so that the ones you haven't completed are more easy to get to? If I'm looking at my shelf. I'll put everything to the left that's completed. And there's usually like a break point for whatever games that I keep a mental note of. And everything past that is where generically I'll look first as far as any games that I'm looking to play. If I don't do that, I'll continuously play the same games over and over and over again. And all these other ones will sit and do me absolutely no good. The organizing of games is something that I personally need to do as well. Although my collection is probably a lot different than yours. Mostly like Atari cartridges and Nintendo and some Super Nintendo. Not very many Nintendo 64 because that's a little too new for me. Says the guy who recently bought a PS4. There's like five games I have for that. There's no organization required. It's not even me that's playing it. I don't have a good system for that. I am interested in seeing what your final product ends up being with that. And I do hope you share some pictures because uh, I could use some recommendations there for sure. I will definitely have to post some pictures because uh, right now it's only about a quarter of the way done. <laughs> uh, Before? After? Yeah, pretty much. Actually, I have a bunch of PS4 games are from my PS3 games. So I have to finagle some stuff around and change stuff up to make it work. Yeah, I'll definitely be posting some pictures and stuff to show that. Excellent. But why? 
while I'm sitting here blathering on about video games, like, well, shockingly always, what about you, Nate? What do you got going on? Well, I have noticed over my years of open SUSE-ing, if I can use it as a verb, that's kind of a visceral response or reaction very negatively for YAS, the system tool, the control center that is a part of OpenSUSE. Something recently that somebody said to me, I saw it on Reddit, of course, Reddit. Someone who I recently met in the community asked for my opinion on what was being said about Yast. And so I read that and I thought, you know what? It's time to do a little blathering on why Yast makes OpenSUSE awesome. Now, a little bit of background on that. I was originally just going to do a top eight reasons, uh, eight because it's a power of two. And then I ended up with like 16. I, well, I got to pare this thing down. Otherwise, I'm going to be working on it for too long. So I made it top 11 reasons why Yast makes OpenSUSE awesome. I'm not going to go through all those right now because that would one, be irritating for you guys and would probably make people think I'm monopolizing the show. The number one reason for me is that consolidated control center tools. One of the things that I love about Yast is how I can just go into one spot and everything that's system related, like core system related, is all right there. I don't have to remember any commands. I don't have to remember anything because you know, I have such a great memory. <clears throat> I don't. I can just very quickly refer to anything that's right there and I can get the job done and I can move on with my life and so forth. So I don't have to hunt around for commands or look through even documentation that I've done to try and find how to do something. It's all just right there. And there's a help button that'll tell you what everything does. Now, could it be improved? Yes. I think there's a lot of room for improvement with Yast, but I think there's room for improvement anywhere. You can always improve something. Something. But for the most part, I would say it does everything I need to do. It makes managing my system very easy. And there's some very cool features that they expose like CPU mitigations. Specifically, you can do things like leave them automatic, automatic with no symmetric multi-threading, you can turn that off, or no mitigations at all, and or manually set them, which you can then put those specific commands in the kernel command line parameter. So just little things like that, I think is very cool that they do. They expose all this stuff, make it really easy for you to access and make modifications and tweaks to really personalize your system for your specific requirements. I don't have uh, CPU mitigations on all my systems. There's some systems that I do actually turn that off because I want to squeeze a little more performance out of the CPU and stuff like that. But anyways, even like the security center for hardening, basically I just made an article that just said, these are all the reasons I like it. I got a lot of really great feedback from people on it. And it's actually really funny. It started quite a nice conversation on Mastodon actually I had with somebody I don't know. That was fun. Those Mastodon conversations have been quite fun. I've had some with several people, even including you in one of those conversations. There's some great community over there. There is. I think Mastodon is a very underrated social media tool. I think I probably have more quality conversations on Mastodon than I do any other mass social media thing. That does not include DLN Forum because I think those are even more fun. I think Mastodon has a lot of great people on there and they're not there to troll or anything like that. They're just there to talk tech and so forth. Yeah, talk tech, keep up to date on things. If you do end up following me on Mastodon, you'll not only get stuff from the show. There's quite a bit of stuff on there about Extend, but you also have to deal with what's going on in my workout sometimes or the things that I wish for to be in my gym. That's a never ending wish list, I'm sure. It is. There's a couple big <laughs> ticket items that I'd really, really like that I keep wishing that I had. So... I've been daydreaming about what would it be like if they were in my home gym. Those are fun daydreams for sure. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. 
DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB Document Database as they become available. As a listener of DLN Extend Podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Manage MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Since we take conversations from all around the community, there was a blog post that I saw that talked about the GNOME way of doing things. And so it kind of brings up the question, is the GNOME way the only way or the best way to progress and push forward the Linux desktop? Now, personally, I'm not a GNOME user. I don't really like the workflow in GNOME so much. I will say right out that I'm a fan of Plasma. I've tried many of the desktops and I always come back to Plasma just because it's like that warm, soft, comfy place that supports me in all the right ways. What are your thoughts on the desktop? Is the desktop in the traditional sense, is it still alive and well? Do you think it should continue as it is or should we be shifting things to more the GNOME way of progressing the desktop? One of the things that I love about Linux and I know I've mentioned this several times, is that not everybody has to have the same exact workflow and you can have different desktop environments with different workflows. Heck, you can even have the same version of Plasma, but somebody set it up completely different to fit their workflow. Linux isn't a one-size-fits-all for me. And if I'm putting the answer in short terms, no, I don't think one way, and that goes for any single desktop, is the only way or quote-unquote the right way. But it's an interesting thing to get into this article. And one of the things that I like about it, and when we were discussing do we really want to tackle this topic or not, not only is this coming from somebody who works with GNOME, that is a developer for GNOME, but there was some feedback from the GNOME community as part of this article. And that makes it more interesting for me because I'm also not a GNOME user. I have used it in the past. Matt and I were talking about this a little bit last week where I started out on XFCE because it was a low resource thing. I eventually moved over to GNOME and there were parts of that that I liked. They had caffeine, which was an add-on to GNOME. It wasn't built into GNOME. But it made sure that I could use my computer as a media streaming device. We could watch a movie on it and I wouldn't have to worry about my computer falling asleep. Then once that option, once that feature was built into KDE, I jumped over there and that's where I found my happy desktop home. I have a more, uh, shall we say, tumultuous history with GNOME. I was a fan of GNOME too. I liked the initial concepts of GNOME 3. I'm talking the pre, hey, let's take everything from Unity and just call it GNOME version. My biggest issues with GNOME, I've really, really tried to like GNOME for my personal workflow. For those that don't know, all three of us here are KDE Plasma users. I have settled on Plasma over GNOME for a variety of reasons. 
But this particular blog, this does not reflect the entire attitude of the GNOME project. I want to clarify this before any statements is like I make these as sound all encompassing. The arrogance that comes off of this from this particular developer is exactly what I disliked about GNOME, the perception that it gives. That is my problem. When I read some of this stuff, I have a hard time. If this is one developer, and please, I want to reiterate, this is one developer for the project. Yes, it is one developer, but it's also on the official GNOME website. You can't say for sure that every developer feels this way, but because it is on the official blog for GNOME, GNOME, however you want to say it, I'm never quite sure. But because it is on the official website, it does make it seem like it is more a project overview of how they feel. Yes, and that presents problems. I don't think the traditional desktop is dead. I think like everything, it has moved, it has morphed, and it has changed with the times as things should. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of the things that this particular blog goes over, which is the link is in the show notes, specifically is talking about what built-in functionalities into the GNOME project as a whole. There's a few of them that I take issue with, but the one that really kind of grates on me is every preference has a cost and this cost rises exponentially as you add more of them. This is why we avoid preferences as much as possible and focus on fixing the underlying problems instead. I can see your heartburn with that one. There is so much loaded wrong with that statement. There are so many things that I find so wrong with that take and that almost reeks of an arrogance to me. Every preference has a cost. Then why does, and I'm going to be really blunt, and this is pointed strictly at this developer. I am not saying this is, again, the take of the project, but why does Budgie do GNOME better than GNOME does GNOME? I mean, that's a fair question. Little things like Budgie seems to be less resource intensive. It seems to be more traditional. I feel like I have more user control in Budgie. It provides options. They're not like overly glaring options that it provides. That attitude right there just bothers me to no end. And some of the stuff later, as I read through this, really bothers me because it is so counterintuitive to that one statement that they make about fix the underlying problems instead. But I'll get into that after some more discussion because I have a, probably a few hot takes on that. Some people aren't going to like. <laughs> Especially as the person who's used it the most and used it frequently in recent times as you've tried to explore what is going to be the best option for this machine, you more regularly try these things out than Nader I do. So your experience with it is definitely a whole lot fresher. As we were looking through this blog post, there is a why. So why they do things the way they do in GNOME. And I have to say that under the why section, I really agree with what's there. And I think that there's a lot of open source projects that would fit inside this same why. They want their software to be built and usable for everyone. They want good user experience with usability and support for a diverse range of hardware. I think that overall fits within the larger Linux community. That software should be structurally and aesthetically elegant. There are different groups that are working specifically on this thing. I know we've talked about elementary OS recently. Solus works really hard to make sure, at least in the past when I tried it, that there was consistency in the look and feel of the desktop that's being used. 
of the system in general, making sure that things are integrated. I don't think that there is a lot of desktop environments, which is theming across the board always good. No, not really. But that is something that the community is aware of and they are working on. They want it to look nice. They want things to work well. They want you to have the applications that you need to get the job done. I see these whys as being very consistent across the Linux community as a whole, whether you are a user, whether you are a developer, whether you're doing it for just home stuff or you're using it for work. These whys make sense to me. But as you were talking about, as we dive into the what and how of this article, that's where some of us kind of have an issue with this overall philosophy. And I like the way you said it. There really seems to be this arrogance, this snubbing of even their own users. It doesn't matter if you like old versions of GNOME or not. These are the changes we make and it's exactly the way that it should be. One of the things in this article that kind of made me step back a little bit Third-party apps are the best abstraction to extend the core system and add additional functionality. Okay, I can kind of see where we're coming from with that. But at the same time, you're saying that preferences are costing. So is those third-party applications going to be a cost to the system are you deciding which third-party applications are available? That's a little strange to me. I mean, most of us add stuff to our desktops. We don't use just everything that comes from Plasma. I know I don't, though I do like a lot of the built-in applications for it, but I don't use all of them. There are some things that I like better that I've decided work better for my workflow. I have the flexibility on Linux to remove that application and install something else. That's the beauty of it, choice. When we were doing the mega fest on Linux and we were asking people what Linux meant to them, it is amazing when reading through that list, so many of the answers were software freedom, hardware freedom, the ability to make my computer mine to do what I need to do with it, with the functions that need to be done for it. Yeah, I think that's actually really huge, the statement of why we use Linux for that choice. GNOME as a project, it's their choice to do whatever it is they want to do with their project. I think my issue is when they say every preference has a cost, as you add preferences, I guess, that adds cost. Now, I understand that from a high-level point of view, I think that is factually true, but I think there's a way of managing preferences in such a way that the costs are minimal. Just from a experiential point of view with GNOME, I have fewer choices, fewer preferences within GNOME unless I add a thing like a, the GNOME tweaks because the default GNOME is really hard for me to use. Even if I try and use it the GNOME way, it's not an enjoyable experience for me. It doesn't have to be an expert or advanced level feature to change font sizes. That's a very simple thing to do. What's really the actual cost in allowing those customizations? What's the real cost? Like, you know, when they say every choice, every preference has a cost, what is the cost? Now, there's a cost in not doing that as well as user frustration. Do they take those lack of preferences into consideration for the cost as well? If we're going to be honest and fair. The other thing too is, and this is not to make a Plasma's better than GNOME, but Plasma gives me all those options like all of them, they're all exposed. 
which can be overwhelming for some people. I got it. But it makes it so the differences in bits of hardware that I have, I can make those little tweaks to make it a more enjoyable experience when I have a hard time with that with GNOME. That cost is not really being weighed into it as well. That's a great point. And you pointed out the cost of having all of the extra settings that are inside Plasma. It can be overwhelming for people. And that is one of the criticisms that we as Plasma users have given it. There's probably a better way to organize that, though I have found their search function to find settings that I'm looking for to work pretty well. But Matt has pointed out jokingly on many times that the going fashion for the GNOME project is to continually remove options. So it seems to be, as you were saying, yes, you're getting rid of maybe some of the potential issues that can happen with a desktop, some of the user error kind of stuff, but you're resulting in the fact of user frustration because they can't just change a font without a tweak. Old Unity, which was based around, other than Compaz, based on GTK technologies, which GNOME is built around. Why is it GNOME still, other than on Wayland, cannot offer fractional scaling? as an option for Xorg-based sessions like it does with Wayland. Yet Unity, which for all intents and purposes is now a dead DE from 2017, still offers fractional scaling using GTK, which is your core technology. Well, uh, hold on, Matt. Unity is not a dead DE. It's more likely in the witness protection program. I want to <laughs> you know, be fair here. As an example, I have a 12.5 inch Toshiba machine that is a two-in-one, but it's a 1080p screen. I need a certain amount of fractional scaling because of the size of the screen. This would be like going and using 1080p screen on like an 11 inch tablet or something. You know, it's when you take the, was it the three by two on the, the Surface Pro 6 there with like the 2300 resolution. Could you do that without fractional scaling at all? No, absolutely not. To me, the fact that that is not an integrated option shows a deficit in the underlying technology, which they supposedly say they are looking to fix by solving the underlying problems. That's been a problem since GNOME 3 started. That's just small things like that. I'm not saying I'm a developer. Something like that, it would be a basic feature because of things going high res and smaller form factors and adapting the technology. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I have not looked at GNOME 40 or GTK 4 and all the other stuff. So I don't know if they fixed that. But knowing how, as a whole, they tend to not fix things or their version of fixing things is removing things. I'm not high hopeful on that. I guess removing features that are broken is one method of fixing the problem. So if they're removing features that are problematic for the architecture, that is a method of fixing it, I suppose. I don't think that's the best method. I think that is a method. But it leads to the addition of the extensions. They think that's an edge case. I'll tell that to every Firefox user of all the user Chrome user. <laughs> that was actually brought up in the comments underneath. So what they're talking about actually comes from the how section of this article. We don't do hacks. Rather than working around a problem at the wrong layer of abstraction, we believe in going to the root of the problem and fixing it for everyone. At the base understanding, I really do like the idea of this. But in clarifying some of this, they really make it sound like we don't want any shell extensions. Shell extensions are absolutely horrible. And really, nobody uses shell extensions. That was the feeling that I got from 
from reading it. As Matt put it, one of the comments from the community below, and I quote, Shell extensions are as niche as the same way Firefox extensions are. They are a separate optional thing you need to know about and then go get from a special website. They're also niche in the fact that how many people don't use extensions on their web browser. I use several. We talk about them on a regular basis. I love Dark Reader. I love my Ghost Ray extension. I love my Bitwarden extension. These are things that I use every day. They make my browser more functional. When I was using GNOME, there are certain extensions that there is no way that I could get my work done. Oh, I can't say no way because really I could have, but my workflow was so much cleaner. It was so much better with those extensions on there. Gnome itself, it didn't offer those things that I needed to get my workflow done effectively. My last jump onto Gnome was Pop! OS when I was having some specific issues with a specific machine. Even with Pop! OS and the built-in extensions and stuff that it uses, between the Pop! OS extensions and the stuff I installed, now some of them were very niche and I'm not going to lie, and some of them were just trying out the extensions as a whole. When things like in the favorites where you have the application launcher for the, that's at the very bottom, you can click and drag all your favorites around all you want and arrange the favorites tab however you want. But that menu is structured to fit and not move at all. You can't click and drag that around at all. You can't even put it to the top. That requires an extension. Call it a small thing. If I can do it with all my app icons and everything else, why can't I do it with the other icon slash functionality that is literally built into the thing? It's just changing the position. I'm not saying it has to be there. It comes to the point where... You can have a base design, but when you take everything away from any type of movement or change or whatever, then accessibility and everything else that the why and the how to's and whatnot that we agree with, you're throwing in the face of everything that you just said you want to go for accessibility and all the other stuff. There's so many contrarian takes within this that contradict the why, but with the what and how are so backwards to what the why is. Again, call me beating up on this particular developer, but this developer's attitude, how many in the GNOME project as a whole have this attitude? It seems like a lot of other projects where it's like, oh, go code it yourself. <laughs> They're not receptive to the feedback of like, hey, have you actually thought about this? I joke about the features of bugs in GNOME, but what one of my things has always been about, they take this deferred to the expert opinion, or at least this guy's take it on it is, everyone has different areas of expertise, such as user experience, security, accessibility, performance, or localization. Listen to the people most experienced in given domain. Mr. Developer here, why don't you actually listen to the people who use the thing? It's a novel concept. It seems like they should do more. What do users actually want? And it maybe users really like the very simple environment because that's just what they attract. I can't get over the piece that they actually said. In practice, shell extensions are always going to be a niche thing. You want to have real impact on your time, better invested working on apps in GNOME shell itself. And this is, I'm kind of scratching my head, but like shell extensions, that was a built-in way of extending the functionality, core functionality was lacking, to add functionality to it to make it better suit an individual user. I thought that was the intent of extensions. I guess I don't think it's a niche thing at all when so many people actually use them. I guess I'm really confused by that. You're not the only one. Contribute upstream, basically, is what he said. Become a more effective contributor. That's like some of the community is like, oh, go build it yourself. The problem with the GNOME project is that's if they decide to take your contribution. 
And that's part of open source. You can put the contribution out there, but then you're running into the, well, this is a hack from GNOME because they refuse to put your feature function or whatever into the project. It almost leaves some users in this really tight spot with GNOME telling them that they shouldn't be using extensions and users saying, hey, but I have this problem and this shell extension fixes it. Gnome coming back and saying, well, we don't like that one. So you're really left with you use the extension and stay on Gnome or you leave. That's the options. And I know that as we were going through this, reading through this blog post, there was also stuff on status icons. And status icons have kind of been a hot topic with Gnome for a while now, especially since they removed them. And this is where the comment about the traditional desktop is dead. They feel that status icons are part of the traditional desktop. That should all die and go away. Different projects would replace the status icon with something else if everybody just did it the GNOME way and got rid of them. How do you guys feel about your status icons <laughs> or how you feel about them thinking everybody should get rid of status icons? So the short version that I have with the whole status icons and the GNOME way of that, their whole mentality is fix the underlying problem. Outside perception, again, they are not fixing the underlying problem. They're just removing what they view as the problem. So if you're going to take something away to quote unquote replace it with something better, a particular thing mentioned about the half dozen different APIs that it needs to insert a logo, come up with something better than maintaining a half dozen different APIs for something like that is not a better solution. It's just a dumb solution. Have a good replacement for what you're trying to take out. That's the solution. I actually use the status icons all the time. It's one of the things I enjoy about plasma and one of the reasons why I use it, not because I want a ton of icons on the bottom, but when we're doing things like this, there is a status icon on the bottom of my desktop that is my microphone. I can click that and mute everything across the board. So right now we're doing an internet recording through a piece of software in a web browser so that once we're done, all of those files are right there and there's no sending them back and forth. But there's times when we're also doing that recording and we're doing a local recording for a backup. If I am muting myself, I want to make sure that I'm not only muted in the web browser recording, but I also want to be muted on my tenacity side of the recording. And that's where that status icon makes a huge difference. When I go to install images from my SD card using Rapid Photo Downloader, I put that in. I get a status icon saying that, hey, there's new media in here. And I can go directly to that icon, click on it, and open that SD card directly into Rapid Photo Downloader downloader and not have to touch anything else. It makes my workflow so simple to go to one place and access certain things. Now, the bonus of this is if I don't want those icons, I can remove them. And I know there's been quite a few people that say, hey, there are certain applications that I use. They make status icons for that. It's part of the functionality of the application and needed to add that back with a shell extension. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should jump to Plasma because we have them. It is just one way of doing things. And I know that there's people that love the rest of the GNOME 
workflow. There are certain aspects of it that they really enjoy as part of that desktop environment. But as a user of it, I can only guess or wonder at the frustration that goes in when GNOME gets updated. And then they're like, oh crap, that other thing that I use is gone. And then they're off to look for another extension to fill the thing that was taken out of their preferred desktop environment. I'm with you, Wendy. I use my status icons all the time. I mean, the system tray to me is a extremely valuable tool. Really, if a desktop doesn't have it, I just won't use that desktop because I use it so frequently to know various different status in my system. I can see that my Bluetooth is connected to my headphones right now. I can see if there's any messages from Telegram or Matrix, any Matrix messages. My firewall status is also displayed in there, and I'd like to see that. Also, like you, the microphone, although I also have a hotkey too, but I can verify whether or not my microphone is muted just by that status icon. And so the idea of an old concept, I'm like, okay, invent something better in the, from first principles. So what is something better? That doesn't really tell me anything. I mean, I suppose you can do status in the taskbar, but my microphone is not a taskbar item. You know what I mean? Like things like that. I suppose, you know, Telegram and Matrix could be over there as well. And I could actually just hide those icons if I don't want to see them, make things as clean or whatever as I need. It's a feature and a function that I think is still valuable. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I drive my truck and the check engine light comes on, that is a status icon that tells me there's something that needs to be addressed or and not necessarily low fuel because there's a gauge there, but all those status dials and... There are some people that rely on the fuel light to get more fuel. So there are those people. <laughs> there are those people. I don't think that's smart. If it goes below quarter tank, you need to fill up. But anyway, at quarter tank, you should fill up. There's things you just have to have a status of your system. I mean, for me, I add things to it. Like I want to see what all my cores are doing. I want to see what my memory status is as well. I want that feedback from my system at all times. Because you know, if all of a sudden my CPUs are pegged out for whatever reason, because Chrome goes crazy or something like that, I'd like to see that immediately. The idea of not having a status icon or status icons, I think it is a garbage statement, really. If you have something better, please bring it forward. But just to say, invent something better, it's kind of a ludicrous statement. And I also want to say that what I'm a little bit annoyed by too is system-wide theming is a broken idea. Only a broken idea with GTK. That's not a broken idea with Qt. Right, because it works really gosh dang well for the most yes. part. And it makes your system just feel more cohesive. And so system-wide theming, I think, is a great. If you want to diverge from system-wide theming and have application-level theming, sure, fine, go ahead and do that. It's actually, I think, better if you kind of keep in mind what the rest of the system is doing. When I use various Qt-based applications, actually in Plasma, when I use Qt or GTK-based applications, it all kind of looks pretty much the same, unless it's a flat pack. I think that there's a lot to be said for just having everything have the same general feel. I have a dark theme. And we've talked about this many times before. I have to have a dark theme just for the sake of my eyes or I get headaches if there's too much of a light theme. And so I want to force that dark theme on everything. And so a system-wide theming of a dark theme, it doesn't have to be exactly perfect for a shades of darkness. It doesn't have the exact same Pantone, but I would like for it to be close, right? And so having that system-wide theming makes my system experience much, much better. It's just an obtuse statement. It's really what it is. It's not taking into account so many other factors and how people use their computers or what people's requirements are. That's like saying everybody is the same when, you know, some people do have a hard time with certain colors or certain brightness levels. They're off script. They've just missed something there about personal computers. That's why I would consider a dark theme as almost an accessibility issue because we both get headaches from stuff that's too bright. I know there's other people in the community that have said they use dark themes for the exact same reason. And like you, it doesn't have to be exactly the same shade across every single application. 
but I do want it to look nice. And being able to apply that dark theme across everything really makes my system far more usable for me, not only in my eye comfort level, but making sure that I can take care of my family when I'm done on my computer because I'm not dealing with a headache. It is, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to say it again, dark theme is an accessibility issue and being able to apply a dark theme across all of the applications you are using is part of making sure that the computer is usable for anybody who needs to. That's absolutely true because they have, at least in Plasma, I don't know about GTK, they have high contrast themes for people who do have a hard time seeing. So if you don't have system-wide theming and then you apply a high contrast theme, I mean, what is that going to apply to then? Okay, got it. Maybe it won't look quite as pretty with a high contrast. In fact, it doesn't look pretty, but it allows people to use their computers. So that system-wide theming, to me, is the only correct path forward. So there is proper accessibility for people with visual encumberments. That's just the bottom line there. And that's one place where system-wide theming trumps it looking quote unquote pretty, because now it's not about having a pretty elegant look across everything. It's, hey, can I use my computer or not? Right. You're denying certain groups of people the use of a computer because of your high ideals here. And that does bother me. The point I hit on earlier is it's like, if you don't like the way apps look, contribute to them directly or the platform style. Again, that's if it's accepted. Or I guess you have to fork it and make it functional for you, which that's ridiculous. Yeah. Again, this particular developers, this is their take on the GNOME project. It is a take. I will put it that way. But if this is the attitude of GNOME as a whole, and I'm not saying it is, but if this is the way they think and the process they take, they might want to really seriously reconsider looking at that process because the mentality of simply just saying either contribute code or shut up basically is dumb. And there's one user in the community that points out it almost the exact same thing in the comments under this article, and it is evolution accepts my opinion, GNOME not. And this is where that I'm a user, I may not be able to develop and contribute that way, but I overall like the workflow of GNOME and want to keep using it. Why do I feel like when I give my opinion as maybe a beginning user, as a longtime user, I get blown off. For a D that talks about not wanting to do hacks, it feels like I have to hack Gnome a lot <laughs> as a user. So true. Here are the questions for the community as we wrap up this topic. Do you use Gnome? What are the things that you enjoy about GNOME. Are there certain aspects of it that have changed over the years that you wish would come back? What do you feel about this article yourself as a GNOME user or maybe as a user of a different DE, even maybe a different GTK DE, because there are some other pretty dang awesome ones out there that are built off this code that are GNOME-like in certain ways, but still give the user a little bit more flexibility. We would love to hear your feedback on this topic. We know there's some different opinions out there. Tell us about it. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. 
for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Matt, so you don't have to uh, slip it in the conversation. I'm sure you have a game recommendation that you're going to fire away with. I always have game recommendations, <laughs> and I already slipped in one earlier, so you know why not slip one at the end of the show in as far as game recommendations. This one is Pathfinder Kingmaker. This is a 1X native game, actually. It is done in very much the Pillars of Eternity, Baldur's Gate uh, 1 and 2, that isometric computer RPG feel. A lot of voice acting, a lot of reading too. But if you've ever wanted a Pathfinder video game that is based uh, very much around the books, the tabletop and the like rule-wise and all that stuff, this is definitely one to go with. Played it for a few hours, definitely enjoyed it. Takes a little bit to get into, but once you start getting into it, it starts getting really good. Animation is really fluid and that kind of stuff. The reason I make this recommendation is because there is a new game in this series by the same developers coming out. It'll be out by the time this recording is done. (laughs) The problem is they did a Windows version and a Mac version, but they're not doing a Linux version this time. Oh, boo. So I'm hoping that it works with Proton. Usually the stuff will work fairly well with Proton if there's a Mac version. Open-ended back-end more than, say, on Windows, which really has over-reliance on DirectX stuff, which can cause potential issues with VXDK stuff and our VX vkdx you know whatever (laughs) i'm hoping that that one actually plays nice but i guess i'll find out when i actually do decide to pressure eventually well the good news is by the end of the year everything should work in proton according to steam so we'll go and lump this in i would imagine well i would hope so it's an isometric party-based rpg what does that mean party-based you control the entire party you don't control just one character i thought maybe it was something like you have a party and then you all play it together but i'm way wrong so it's not like multiplayer kind of party it's you are playing every single member of your group as you're fighting whatever you're any particular point you can control any character in the group kind of like the lego games where you can switch back and forth between the different characters kind of thing there's more of a tactical element to it but yeah that's the generic way to probably look at it well the graphics look fantastic it looks like a fun game to play the violence is kind of cartoony problem is it's too new for you it is too new for me they say 2018 it still looks cool i'd probably you know watch somebody else play it for a bit maybe i'll watch you play it matt (laughs) uh yeah that's if i ever decide to stream Uh Uh-oh, do you get in trouble when you stream? That's a big if there, huh? Um, I'm picky about when I decide to stream. Let's just put it that way. There are a few games that came out around this time that basically they're updated CRPGs or computer RPGs that are very much done in that Infinity Engine, Nate, which you should know what that is at least, I would hope. The isometric style of game, like I said, the Baldur's Gates, the uh, Icewind Dale and those kind of games from like the late 90s, early 2000 time. Planescape Torment was another one that a lot of people like. Not all the time, but it's a genre I do like if it's done well. 
requirements on this are pretty low, really. Also check out Pillars of Eternity, Tyranny, and Torment, Tides of Numenera, Wasteland 2. Those are some other games done in the similar vein, so definitely worth checking out. I like it. While I'm making my path to find games to play, Wendy, did you finally find your path to playing one? I did. Thank you for reminding me this morning, and I played 20 minutes before we started the show. So I did play before, even though it was, oh, I got to do that now, or I'm not going to get a chance to do it. I really enjoy parts of this game, and if you don't know what we're talking about, the game I've been talking about now for the last two episodes is Kill It With Fire. You play someone who is out to kill all of the spiders in your home, your office, wherever you are, there's different places that you go. One of the things that I'm struggling with in this game, and that is definitely a me issue because I am not coordinated when it comes to gameplay. And you know that if you watched me on Megafest playing Xenotic, yes, those are not generally my type of games. I go and find a spider and then you can't open a drawer or whatever while holding something in your hand to throw at them until you get your fire, which the fire is awesome, but that's beside the point. So (laughs) I will open it. I see them. And then I start like just having to use the board in my hands that you have your clipboard that's got your list of objectives on it because I don't get something picked up in time. Or I have the issue of I pick something up and put it back down instead of actually using it to throw at the spiders. But really, it's a quite entertaining, super silly game. The kids were having a blast behind me this morning as I was playing it before the show. They get a kick out of it. My husband And my youngest daughter both got a chance to play before I did, and I will be playing some more. It might take me a long time to get through certain levels because when it comes to gameplay coordination, I just don't have it. But it's super silly, and I don't have to worry about actually being killed by the spiders. My lack of being able to pick things up quickly won't hurt me too bad. The throwing star is hilarious. That is just so sticking funny, just whipping throwing stars at it. The flamethrower was, I think, my favorite one. Well, of course, yeah. Kill it with fire. That's the first weapon upgrade you get as you go from just having to gather things around the apartment house area that you're in. You're able to get into the bathroom and get a lighter that's strapped to a hairspray can. The weed whip is funny. Oh my gosh. So Wendy, you should send Ryan this game. I should absolutely send Ryan this game. If you've listened to Hardware Addicts, you know he just absolutely loves spiders. He thinks they're just the cutest little creatures everywhere. (laughs) Actually, as a side note, I was talking with my kids about ways that we could get Ryan with fake spiders so next conference we're all together there could be some fun stuff going on just turn on a camera matt and i are gaming and you are building nate what is your current building project i'm building my tool crib wall again a machine shop they have like an area where you would keep all the tools and it's usually like cordoned off in some manner like behind a cage i'm building a wall where I can put all of my power tool things, like my battery chargers, specific different tools I want to hang on the wall just for quick access and so forth. I'm building that right now. I cut and paint the board put in place, and I didn't take some things into account, so it's a little bit too big, and I got to trim it down a little bit. Things like, although it would physically fit if I put it there, I can't actually get it around some of the things that are in the way. I'll get that worked out. Not a huge deal, just a process, and it's kind of a cumbersome process because I'm trying to fit it behind some electrical things as well. 
my workbench right now where I would do my dirty work, as it were, you know, things that I don't want to have on my computers, has a lot of tools because there's no place for it at this point. I really can't get to my mini split until I can find all my tools. When I put all my tools away, then it'll be a lot easier to get to these other building projects I have to do. It's not very exciting, but it is necessary. You are moving on from just the regular sorting through, putting stuff away with the move, and trying to get things a little more organized. Yep. So pretty much everything has been gone through, although I still can't find a couple of things that I set aside. Uh, Not the box of podcasting things. I did find those, but now things like my calipers. I had a network cable diagnostic set. I can't find that either. I'll find them. Maybe I missed it going through another box, whatever. But anyway, doing this will just get me closer to the point of where I have no more boxes left. Since we last talked, so two weeks ago, I have about probably about a third of the number of boxes left to go through still. So I'm going to actually have the kids and I go through all the toys they're not playing with anymore, make them sort it out as opposed to me doing that job, that I'm going to have them make that mess today. I'm excited about that. It's an important step. How well does that work when you put the kids in charge of that job? Because I know every time I do, there's a whole lot of things that shouldn't stay that do because it's, oh my gosh, I found this. It's so awesome. I have to keep it. And then they still don't actually play with it. I actually have a plan for this. When I was a kid, my parents are very frugal. And what they did was they did like toy rotations. My mom did this, I should say, not my parents. My mom did this, where she would basically have a box of toys or a little bin of toys where she would then swap them out so that toys were constantly new. It kept me wanting new things less. And so I'm basically going to do this kind of a setup as well. I've already got the bins set aside, the plastic bins, like flip top bins. If they're set in a puddle or whatever, it's not going to be the end of the world for the box and things become a mess. But I have this already planned out. So they only have a certain number of bins they can fill. Everything else has to go. That's the plan anyway. We'll see how it goes. Nice. Um, This is my first time doing such an activity. So I could fall on my face with the whole thing. But that's the plan. We'll see how it goes today. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. More information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular and blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find all my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN and swag along with stuff from across the shows on the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Deal and Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. If you look at GNOME as a project... Sorry. Are you dying? Is that weather or child? No, weather. Oh, yeah, because you got hurricane stuff going on. Yeah, I can't mute that one. I'm sorry. That goes through my alarms. Thank you, Android. (laughs) Trying to think of how many shell extensions I had with GNOME. Here's what I should do. Not necessarily share it in the show. Maybe share it as like a little side segment, but maybe post it Mastodon or inside the thread afterwards. Is throw something with GNOME on it and see how many extensions I need to add to make the system comfortable for me to use. Right. Just out of curiosity, because it's been so long. So legit, it was almost 20 extensions for me. Wow. That's with the base ones from Pop, but that's not counting the ones I added. I got to add this other question too.
Also, if you are a GNOME user, please let us know how many extensions you use on your GNOME installation. Good call. <laughs> I want to know, like, how many extensions are people using on their GNOME? Yeah. There's very few people that I think do bare bones base. What there was someone in the community who was, and I can't Adam remember Grubbs. who it was. Adam Grubbs yes. did bare bone. Yep. And for some people, it works. I totally get that. The inflexibility of GNOME, though, is just mind-boggling. 